The following is a conversation between Donna DiVarona, Olympic gold medalist and first president of the Women's Sports Foundation, and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving, on AM 970 The Answer, WNYM, in New York City. We love inspirational stories of trailblazers, those who have made the best of a situation they were in, as challenging as it was, and then worked hard and persevered in an effort to make it better for those who followed. One of the most remarkable of those stories is that of Donna DeVarona, gold medal winning Olympic swimmer, pioneering sports broadcaster, and the inspiration for the creation of the Women's Sports Foundation. Good evening, Donna, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Well, thank you so much. It's nice to be here. You retired from swimming at just 17 years of age. Now, this is right after you won two gold medals in the Tokyo Olympics. What were the circumstances at the time, and we're talking the early 1960s, that compelled you to have to make that decision? Well, at my time in the 60s, uh, young girls rarely competed in high school sports mm -hmm. and certainly not in, on the collegiate level. So at 17, going into my senior year in high school, <laughs> along with my peers, I was looking at, do I try to continue to swim and stay on top without an opportunity in college? Because I wanted to go to college because yeah. there were no programs. Or do I retire and take advantage? And I was one of the fortunate ones of all the things coming my way. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things like uh, Speedo swimsuits wanted to sponsor me. Um, and the, in those days, the minute you made a decision to use a sponsor, you were you were banned from your sport because we were true amateurs. Oh, with the big A. Not today yeah. where you have this fuzzy little line. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. So um, I just said, listen, I've been on top since I've been 13. Mm -hmm. I don't want to quit on the bottom. I want to pay my way to college because there were no scholarships. Say that again. There were no scholarships no. for women? No, and I wasn't a straight-A student that was going to get a scholarship. <laughs> I was a pretty solid B student when I, on a good day. You had a A's in the pool. Yeah, I had to get straight A's my senior year to get into UCLA. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the truth is is that I, I really had to quit. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you take what's given you in, in your life. And for me, actually, it opened the door for many other great opportunities. Well, what did you do then at 17? Well, at 17, I picked up the phone, mm -hmm. uh, and I said to ABC, because in 1961, they covered, they started Wide World of Sports oh, as a yes. pilot. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they squeezed in my last race, and I broke a world record. Uh -huh. And I had 18 of them you had, I recall. Yes, I did. <laughs> and um, I got to know the producers, because a lot of the producers didn't know anything about amateur sports. Mm -hmm. And I, my, I had a great rivalry with my teammate. And so every event they covered, they covered me. Mm -hmm. And they made me into a little mini star. And they would come to me and say, what races should we cover? And I said, well, you should cover this race or that race. So make a long story short, I pick up the phone. And I said to Chuck Howard. Yep. Uh, and he worked, of course, with the great Rune Arledge. Uh, He's a legend I, in himself, was, along with Rune, but yeah, both of them are. Both, yeah. uh, and I just said, listen, I can't bear to quit. I really can't. I love the travel. I love the sport, but I could if I could just cover it. And they said, well, we want you to think about it because the minute you do that, we, we don't want to be accused of turning you professional. Mm -hmm. So a week later, I call him back. Now, this was a process of from October to February because okay. I, I swam in one more competition. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I picked up the phone, and I said, I want to do it. So they got me a work permit because I was 17. Yeah. They flew me back to Yale University to cover the men's swimming event, mm -hmm. sat me down live, sat me down to Jim McKay, slapped like Don Schollander or something like that. Schollander, Schollander yeah, I remember yeah. that. Slapped a headset on me and said, okay, go. <laughs> You're a sports commentator. <laughs> 
Well, Donna, this kind of blows my mind yeah. because I know what the sports world is like, yeah. particularly for women. Yes. We all know what the early 1960s was like. Not that we don't have a long way to go today, but the yes. 60s were the 60s. And you're a kid yeah, right. <laughs> at 17. Right. What was it like? Well, I think it's a good thing I didn't know what I know now. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is I did start at with someone that, uh, I mean, Jim McKay was, uh, again, I didn't know even know how great he was, yeah, but yeah. Uh, he was a gentleman's gentleman. Yes, he was. Uh, and what my job was, which announcers don't have to do as much now, I did all the research for him. Mm-hmm. Basically, I went down, got the sound bites, talked to the coaches, talked to the athletes. I would sit next to him before the races and, and feed him, you know, this is how you, the race is probably going to go. And... Uh, I earned his respect, mm-hmm. and I earned the producer's respect, at least in my sport. Mm-hmm. What the difficulty was was getting off the pool deck because they said, oh, your voice works for women swimming now. I started with men, and then they brought in a male announcer for the yeah, first yeah, Olympics. Yeah, yeah. So you got pigeonholed. I, yeah, well, I did for a while. Yeah, for a while, yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when you were on the air, did you feel enormous pressure that if you screwed up, oh. you wouldn't be on the air for many a moon? <laughs> Well, I, I had a very big, huge setback. Uh, I I didn't feel the pressure so much the 68 Olympics, first Olympics, because I knew my stuff as yeah. a swimming expert. I think the challenge was the leaping out of the pool and getting a local. Actually, I started, I was the first woman in this local market mm-hmm. to cover sports. That was fine. But one, one time, remember when CBS had Jimmy the Greek and uh, Phyllis George? Sure Great show. Yeah, and yeah. Phyllis was and like. Brent, uh, Musburger. At you, Brent. Yeah, yeah. Phyllis was like, the camera loved her. Mm-hmm. And the athletes loved her. And, and she played it safe. She did interviews and profiles. Well, Rune Arlich had the idea because he was very competitive. I got my woman. I'm going to put Donna on the scoreboard show. Uh-huh. That is one of the hardest shows to do in television. You have to have a very quick mind. Mm-hmm. You have to have. I love college football, but I didn't know all the leagues and all this, so I studied all week. I was left alone. Mm. I had my cards. Uh, the night before I went on the air, they canceled my uh, rehearsal. <laughs> I should have said I'm done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I woke up that morning. I never threw up before a swimming meet. <laughs> this one, I went into the studio. I was given the score wrong. Oh. Very first thing, and this is when women were trying to break into the sport mm-hmm. as as announcers, and uh, I, w- I was terrible. Yeah, I yeah. froze live television. They started playing music between the scores. Oh my goodness! I came back to my apartment. Nobody called me for a week. Oh, you don't exist. I was. I wanted. Yeah, to, I don't want to kill yeah, myself. Yeah, it's, really, it's trauma. Because I said I've gone, I've blown it. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm never going to recover. Right. And uh, luckily, Rune, he felt for me. Uh, he said, "Okay, we're going." So then they sent me to Rune the Soviet Union. Oh, oh, wow, oh boy! <laughs> they sent me to the Soviet Union to cover Russian or Soviet acrobatics, and I worked my way back up. And Don Chula was so great. He, you know, he was so such a hot coach at the time, mm-hmm. and, and so um, he. I flew down to Florida, did a great ra- radio interview. Oh, with that's him. great. That's so great. that was nice, yeah, but it yeah. took a long time still. Yeah. And a lot of people following your footsteps, if I recall correctly, didn't uh, Peggy Fleming start doing uh, figure skating with Dick Button? Yes. Rune, later in the 60s? Yes. Rune, Rune was all about loyalty. Yeah. He was about, uh, you know, sports are star-driven. You pick out that one person that carries the coverage. And especially in amateur sports at the time, we might sure. appear twice or three times a year on uh, on television. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we took up a lot of space because there were only three networks. Yeah. 
and the magazines covered, right. uh, followed. But yeah, Peggy came on board. Dick Button came on board. Yeah, I remember. Great personalities. Lo- Rune loved the personalities. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, Monday Night Football started under Rune. Uh, then later on, Nightline. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had a lot of journey back and forth with with ABC, and at the end of my career with them, I wound up working directly with Rune. I had two jobs, one in management and one on air. Yeah, you're the only person ever. You had to get board approval for that, well, right? Well, you had, uh, yes, I, I will tell you that um, uh, Pierre Salinger did it for news, mm-hmm. and um, we had one other uh, person that covered boxing that became, was really an executive, but he wanted to be on the air. But yeah. I was the first woman ever to do that. Donna, how would you describe the state of women in sports broadcasting today? Well, I think if you go, if you Basically, what's happened, we have more women in sports broadcasting mm-hmm. uh, because of ESPN and because they opened the door wider. If, but it, if you look at the overall coverage and how many men are in prominent positions uh, making the decisions about how women go on the air and how they're uh, featured, uh, we're still down. We're still very minimal. Yeah. And you're way behind the news. Would that be right? Yeah. Well, I called my friends at ABC. We got to do what the women did at ABC uh, News. Mm -hmm. When Diane Sawyer and Barbara Walters, they all went to Rune Mm -hmm. and they said, listen, this isn't right. Yeah. And uh, fix it. (laughs) They made and they they did. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they they're doing much better than we are. What about the coverage of women's sports? I mean, (laughs) it doesn't get (laughs) near what it should. And I, I could even take it to the local sports. Yeah. Um, when I watch the the news, let's say at six twenty-five, the sports news. Right. I sometimes count, and you'll get one story about a women's team or a female athlete for every twenty-five stories or so That's that right. you get about guys. It's just the not, percentage hasn't changed. It really hasn't changed. And the thing is, one of the things that's helping us a little bit in this, um, and I get pushback on it, of course. In 1996, during the Atlanta Olympics, mm-hmm. NBC covered those games. Uh, I was an ambush reporter on the top of this furniture mart covering for uh, Good Morning America. Are you, are you gorilla? I was a gorilla. <laughs> and, and actually, uh, Dick Ebersol had been with ABC, and he was with NBC. Mm-hmm. And he, he wasn't pleased about that. But now now everything <laughs> everything in Olympics is a venue. So you really, if you're an outsider, you really have to hustle. But anyway, the point is... Uh, we had two winning teams, women's soccer mm-hmm. uh, and women's softball, and NBC didn't cover it. Hmm. They did cover basketball in a very sophisticated way, mainly because of David Stern and his relationship with Ebersol, and he wanted to – that was the springboard for the WNBA. But um, So Nike did this wonderful thing about – Two great women, uh, U.S. women's team won gold and nobody saw it. It was a <laughs> Nike ad. That's nice. So I, and Dick and I would always argue about coverage. Mm-hmm. And so that helped. And then NBC did research and found that, you know, the, the viewing audience of the Olympics wants to watch women's sports. Yeah. So it got a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But now we've got the International Olympic Committee looking at those numbers. We're on, I'm on a women's sport commission. So we're pushing them to get this. The data on coverage. So mm-hmm. we found out that on the last day of the Rio Olympics, it was something like 20 out of 24 hours, women only got two hours of coverage and not that significant. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so <laughs> now the IOC is saying to these rights holders that have paid a fortune, you got to do better. Yeah. And that, of course, the pushback is well, we paid all this money, we've got control. Uh huh. And they're not happy. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how this works out in Tokyo. I can feel the tension. In Tokyo. Well, speaking about women in sports, um, you, in 1970, along with Billie Jean King, uh, 
got together and formed the Women's Sports Foundation. How did that come about? Well, you know, this is murky, but um, after Billie Jean beat Bobby Riggs, uh, she was huge. Oh. She still is. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, I was with ABC when Rune said she— 90 million people watch that. Right. She, Rune said, should we cover it? And he, Rune always understood it, sports is about the bigger picture. That's right. And that's what I loved about Jim McKay, because mm-hmm. I always say when Wide World was covered, it was a, it was a history lesson. But um, Billie Jean beat Bobby, and she had all—she's— She's an amazing person, mm-hmm. uh, mo- so inspirational. So I said, I have to meet her. So Susie Chaffee, the skier, Olympic skier, uh, who's very creative, introduced me to Billie Jean. And we talked about a World Sports Foundation. It, it, it ended up that she got a, a check for charity mm-hmm. at the time. She didn't make a lot of money then, if you look at what they're making now. Every, I think every current player should pay her a 10% or something. Um, she, uh, <laughs> she and her lawyers... Uh, Legally set up the foundation. And she was trying to play tennis and was doing all these uh, charity things and finally said, listen, I don't have time to do everything. Mm. She started the magazine. She had the WTA. And she said, Donna, would you step up and be president and and create something? And so uh, lucky for me, uh, a woman named Eva Auchincloss, who just lost two Two of her family, her husband and her son, in about a year, a year um, and was inspired by Billy Jean. Said, "I'll be your executive director for free," and we created right. the fa- we established the foundation. Yeah, Billy yeah. Jean's the official founder, mm-hmm. right? But and you I'm, were you were you were well, I, we were there. Well, it takes everybody. Yeah, it takes everybody. That's and right. All my, all, and you had been mentored by Eunice Shriver at the Special Olympics, so you really kind of knew what to do. Eunice was amazing. What I loved about Eunice was she taught me you just pick up the phone you call yeah and that even if after the first she told you to be fearless is what it sounds like well you have to be fearless yeah. and you, luckily though it it was time place and circumstance i was working local i eyewitness news beat mm-hmm. we had great people in this community like lou rudin you had uh rune arledge you had uh red r back you had the knicks the nets the the great Olympic athletes, the boys club, girls club dinners, and mm-hmm. I, I did all the charities, and I could go and ask these guys to help me. And I said, <laughs> we have to have something traditional in New York. Yeah, you were right. Well, you just had it the other day. Yes, we did. Tell us a little bit about the, the gala and what the foundation is up to. What inspired you at this year's event? Or who inspired you? Well, the room was full at the Cipriani. Mm-hmm. We have a new executive director. The fact that we're still alive on our 40th anniversary. Congratulations. With the ups and downs huh? after 9-11. Yeah. Oh, we almost sure. went under. Yeah. Uh, we have a new executive director named Susan Antoine. Mm-hmm. And uh, we raised $2 million last night. That's a good and night. And what we do is, you know, there's shifting things in sports, but um, the, one of the most important things is data. Mm-hmm. We, uh, I work with Ernst & Young for f- five years, and part of our commitment to women's sports was to do research. So we do research, and that research uh, over the last few years uh, showed the link between women in sport and women in the C-suite and mm-hmm. corporations. 94% that make it to, into C-suites say they had a sports background, and 50% competed in college. The Women's Sports Foundation, under my leadership, gave out travel and training grants. Um, we gave money to people like Christy Yamaguchi. Yeah. I mean, it, sometimes $2,000 or 1500 makes a difference. You make all the difference in the world. It gets and, them out of the, the, the blocks. Right, and then... Um, we honor, which is important. We honor the top women. Mm-hmm. 
uh, uh, Megan Rapino was our team individual athlete. Super. Uh, she came to the dinner, and uh, Lacrissa Shields, who's a boxer, mm-hmm. came to the dinner, uh, and we had a packed room. We do that uh, research. We have a day in Washington mm-hmm. where we educate our leaders about the importance of Title IX and health and fitness. Uh, but I think you consulted on that. You advised the Senate on, on I, Title IX back I, yeah. as you were sort of cobbling a career together by a few you bucks over here. You have to do here. everything. To stay to do in everything. Yeah. <laughs> you have to pass a federal law so you can get in the locker yeah, room. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody could pay you a wage. That's right. <laughs> So we're, we're a home for women's sports. Yeah. You know, you've made an interesting point before about uh, women in sports and getting to the C-suite. And that really leads to the question of transition. Yeah. And uh, you kind of alluded to it in your own life before when you retired. Yes. What's it like for an athlete to retire, giving up that life? And how then do you help them make that transition to their next life? It's really hard, especially mm. – I mean, I think transitions are hard for everybody. Yeah, yeah you're right on that. About we're that. all built differently. Mm-hmm. I don't like them, but every time I, I think it's the worst thing that happened to me, eventually maybe it's the best thing. Well, look at the, uh, the broadcasting. Yes. You retired. It was horrible. It was your life. Yeah, it was, <laughs> you know? I mean, who knew? Who knew? But I think that uh, when you start as a youngster, and they start them <clears throat> younger and younger, from one day to the next, you have your whole – the way you knew the world is over. Yeah. And you're, you're not a member of the herd anymore, the mm-hmm. tribe. You're mm-hmm. out. You're, you can't take up the space in the pool anymore. Mm-hmm. I remember when I couldn't figure out whether to retire or not, I would walk down to the pool, and I'd swim one day and train, and then the next day I wouldn't. And yap, 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 parents, is, when is she going to make up her mind? She's taking up space in the pool. Yeah, yeah, taking up time. Uh, yeah, yeah, Lane. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, what we've done unofficially with the Women's Sports Foundation, which I did with a lot of individual athletes, would say, listen, let's jumpstart this black hole you're going to fall in after mm-hmm. you retire. Because your body's different. You're, you're a Ferrari on you know, a sidewalk now because <laughs> you're, you're used to working out. Mm-hmm. So you have all that. You have, you're a focused, passionate person. You're not going to be happy if you don't have a direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, You've you got to understand you, you, you had a coach. You, you think you can do life all on your own. Seek out mentors. Yeah. At the time, they didn't really – we did have a word for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've got psychological issues like we've, you know, Michael Phelps has been open about, yes. seek help. Yeah. And join a – give back. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started this program along with Beth Brooke at Ernst & Young to help athletes transition to the next thing. And we're in partnership with the International Women's Forum. That's great. Which are all great women. Yeah, they are. And the reason why I wanted to do that was we get mentors um, for our our mentees out of the International Women's Forum. They're all professional women. They mentor our athletes for a year. Mm -hmm. And then our athletes get to go to this incredible conference because women athletes are in a silo between men and professional women. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's a lonely place. A little bubble there. And, and you know, you want to say to women athletes that want to stay in, this, in the sports world, maybe you want to look outside. Yeah. Because it's so hard. Right. And if you look outside, you can come back mm-hmm. in a, maybe a bigger way. Absolutely. With a whole different skill set. You know, mm-hmm. by working in the Senate and leaving ABC, I left, did three, uh, two round trips or almost three. Uh, you know, Rune, after I went to work in the Senate, went, wow, I look at her differently. She's grown up now. <laughs> oh, She's my goodness. <laughs> she knows stuff I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was reading about, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was, a, I think, a New York Giant linebacker. Uh-huh. And he retired. Yes. And for a couple years, he drove out to the MetLife Stadium um, at the exact same time he left 
when he was playing. Wow. And he would find a, a spot in the parking lot, couldn't even get across the, the, the fence where the players would go, yeah. and would try to keep the same routine. So it really was like, it, it, to your point, it, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I look—I do a lot of fundraising and charitable work, and I know what athletes are like. And you always want them at your event, but when they retire, unless you're a famous athlete, yeah, nobody wants them anymore. They get maybe six months or a year, and then they kind of just sort of fade away. Well, we're—you know—we—we—that's what I—I say say to a lot of Olympic athletes. Um, If you look back at the the games in Sochi or Mm -hmm. the games in Salt Lake, where we had so many gold medalists. Who do you remember? Yeah. I mean, you're going to remember Michael Phelps forever. How can you not? You remember four, three or four, yeah, something like it. that. And, and then, after and that, that's they the just... that's the way we cover sports. Yeah, that's it's, right. It's personality-driven. Well, that's the way we cover everything. Uh, you know, you have, it, you have a disaster. It's on the news for 36 yeah. straight hours or three but, days, and then all of a sudden, so we got another gone. disaster. we got a, gone. we got a tweet over here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Who cares about those people anymore? Or at least that's what... So let's talk about the Olympics. It's going to be in 2020 in Tokyo, a place which has fond memories for you. And, yes. and also may have would have had fond memories for your dad, who would have been in the Olympics in 1940 if it hadn't been for the war. Um, speak about the overall health of the Olympic movement today. What's strong? What's fragile? What do you think needs to be done? Well, when you think about it, just think about what Simone Biles just did this week. Well, it's hard to even think about. That was just so uh, remarkable. It is so, stunning. So it's such an attractive platform mm-hmm. that it's burdened with so much. And I don't know, you might compare it to the ancient games because they collapsed because of cheating, maybe sponsorship agents, um, the burden of of being so attractive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and also because so much money is invested now and the athletes aren't paid, mm-hmm. they're waking up and saying, you know, we're – we're slave labor here. Ah, we're seeing that in California, right, yeah, with uh, yeah. the NCAA and uh, right, well, you know what right. they're doing out there. And these organizations are trying to scramble to deal with it uh, because there's a new rule now where uh, athletes at the Olympics can honor their sponsors within a certain limit, limited time. Um, so, But for me, uh, I've stayed involved because of the Simone Biles of the world, mm-hmm. for what sports does for you, for the convening of athletes at the Games. If you ever have the opportunity to really see inside the Olympic Village, there's the 1% or the less than 1% that are going to get on the podium. Mm-hmm. There's 10,000 athletes there. Mm-hmm. They're going to go home with a whole different view of the world. And so I stay involved, but and I, I think the International Olympic Committee uh, on many levels has a bad rap, but they have really cleaned up. That's good to hear. Uh, Thomas Bach it was an Olympic athlete, a double gold medalist in fencing. Uh, he's joined in hands with the UN and is involved in many initiatives, is uh, trying to clean up the corruption. Um, one of the problems, however, is when you award an Olympics to pe- a country like Rio, there was rampant corruption. Yeah, yeah. And so these are the things they deal with constantly. But what you don't see is the solidarity money that comes in, that goes into inner, inner city programs mm-hmm. or rural programs, the uh, initiative with the UN women that mm-hmm. uh, the IOC's partnered with, uh, the, uh, the ability to reach into refugee camps and bring refugees. And maybe that's exploitive, but it gives hope. Yes, it does. And yeah. there, more and more people are getting involved in that. And there's so many NGOs that use sport as a tool to teach. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Beyond Sport, Peace and Sport by Prince Faisal, uh, Generations for Peace, mm-hmm. by, um, Generations for Peace by Prince, Prince Faisal, Peace and Sport by Prince Albert. Uh, but they're both IOC members, and yeah. they may be royal, but they do good works. Yeah. So um, it, it's a it's a it's a mixed bag is what it is you know I mean it's, it's like everything else in society well, it's a microcosm that, of of the world. Well, you know, Sam Ranch had been the ambassador under Fra- Franco to mm-hmm. uh, the former Soviet Union, and when confronted with all this, he said, "What am I going to do? How do I control you know somebody that's going to really violate our rules?" But yeah. now there's just bigger standards. Mm-hmm. As you uh, go around the world to advocate for uh, for women's sports and, and these issues, Nike Roundtable, a whole bunch of different things, yeah. what's on the top of their agenda right now? What are they wanting to do next? What's their, their number one priority in terms of trying to create gender equity and fairness in the well, world of sport I, they're, for they're, women? Their priority now is because on the field of play, we're pretty equal. Yeah. Uh, le- leadership, mm. power, um, you go into any room that's convening sports leaders, you see very few women. And it's, it's a product of the old system. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like the royal court of sports. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And it was in a bunch of, excuse me, white, rich guys yep, yep. under Pierre de Coubertin, who mm-hmm. would turn over in his grave to know that women were, you know, this prominent on the field of play. Uh, and that's the problem is the rub. Because once you're an IOC member, mostly it's for life. A third isn't. You got to be re- re-voted. But uh, it's such a powerful thing for some of these individuals. Who Intoxicating. From, yeah. 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 Right. And I, I think there should be uh, more turnover. I mm-hmm. think that would be healthier for oh. the movement. Mm-hmm. And we're. I think Bach realizes this because we, we're having a generational turnover now. Yeah. That pe- people are disappearing. They're mm-hmm. going to the big, you know, <laughs> stadium in the sky, and we need young people that understand the complexities of the movement Mm -hmm. to be educated. So in 81, I worked with uh, a a German um, to set up the first Athletes Commission to the IOC. And Bach came out of that. Mm -hmm. And Seb Coe, who ran London, great athlete, runs the IAAF, the Track and Field Federation, runs that and will probably be an IOC member. So are they young? They're they're almost they're in their sixties, but yeah. IOC standards they are. But we also have a group of athletes that are elected every year to be on the International Olympic Committee. That's great, and that's very helpful. Yeah. Before I let you go, what's yes. up with you next? I know you're on your way to Malta. Tell us about it. I am for a uh, State Department or Department of State envoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am representing Special Olympics International. Mm-hmm. Eunice Schreiber brought me onto that organization in the '60s oh, wow. when it first started, <clears throat> and we have something called Unified Sport that we're promoting all over the world. And I know in California it's very robust, where you have athletes in in schools that partner with Special Olympics to play in unified sport. In Malta with the refugee issue and the inundation of uh, uh, different populations and young people restless, we're bringing children out of refugee camps to work with our Special Olympics and play on the field to play together. That's great. You yes. just keep on rolling along, don't you? Just yes, one thing after stuff. another. Good it's work. great stuff. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Well, Donna DeVarona, athlete, broadcaster, and tireless advocate, I want to thank you so much for being here this evening. For those who want to dig into this issue a little bit more um, and get involved, what advice do you have for them? Well, go online. I would yeah. love to women. I would love people to contribute to the Women's Sports Foundation. That's important. Um, you know, I think giving back is gives me much more than I give. And I think that that, through my up and down career, my three round trips to ABC and back and working for NBC and working in the Senate, I think that the, it's just, 
such a happy place to be with people that want to give back. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've had many more ups and downs, that's for sure. <laughs> well, thanks, Don. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I'll be back with more of The Business of Giving right after this. The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at Biz of Give on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Business of Giving.